This message is provided by the gifts and love offerings of the people of Rancho Baptist Church in Temecula, California. Pastor Jason Swanson is our senior pastor here at Rancho Baptist Church, and this message was recorded during one of our regular Sunday morning services. Today, Pastor Jason begins a new series in the book of Acts, looking at Jesus' continuing work after his ascension into heaven through the apostles. Let's join Jason now in his sermon entitled, The Final Words of Jesus. Turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 1, and today we're looking at verses 1 through 3. Here's Jason. Well, welcome everyone. Thank you. The rest of you are too dazed from being hot already? I understand. Um, Praise the Lord for the opportunity we have to look at God's Word together. Today is a, well, it's a monumental day for for me. I I, I go off of dabbling in, um, yeah, more topical sermons, heart and other things that, that I believe have been profitable and now we turn and, and we're going to start an, a, an exposition through the book of Acts. And I should probably warn you all that it, that it took me six months in our village in Papua New Guinea teaching five days a week, more than an hour a day, to get through the book of Acts. And, and I'm just saying um, that, yeah, I don't think this will take us five years to get through the book of Acts by any means. But it, but it could take a while. And I, I'm just very excited about opening God's Word and, and seeing what He has for, for all of us. And um, I think the book of Acts is, is so pivotal and so important for shaping us as a church and for, for casting vision on us as a church as we are going to see. I, I have entitled this entire book, A Walk Through Acts, Jesus at work. And you may be thinking, wait, wait, Acts is about the apostles, but but we're going to see that actually Acts is, is, yes, the apostles are involved, but but they're not the one that is truly at work. Jesus is at work. And I thought maybe the way that I would frame our our discussion um, as today really is going to be more introductory. I'm not going to be able to get through, I'm going to have a hard time even getting through the first three verses (laughs) in Acts. And the reason is, I, I want to lay a foundation. In the same way that if you guys were going to purchase a book online, you wouldn't just arbitrarily buy any book. Your money means something to you. Probably somebody has already told you about this book. But maybe just hearing it from them wasn't enough. So what you would probably do is you'd go online. You'd see some reviews of the book. You'd want to know a little bit about the author. You'd want to know a little bit about the theme of the book. What, what, what is this book about? You want to know a little about the genre of the book and and, and this and that, right? And and see if it fits in with with really what you want to read. And in order for us to truly understand the significance of the book of Acts and and where it's located, even in our our Bibles, we we really need to to look back at at some very important fundamental areas of, of the book of Acts. So we're going to look at the purpose. We're going to look at theme, we're going to look at how to interpret, we're going to look at the title, we're going to look at outline. But by by way of introducing everything, I I thought, you know, a a good question for us to consider is, have you ever been given a a job that was the completion of somebody else's job? For whatever reason, somebody wasn't able to complete their job, 
and then they took off and did something else, and so then you were tasked with completing the rest of that job. I, I'm sure at different times we've all been in, in, in those shoes, even as children, if maybe your, your older sibling or younger sibling didn't do a proper job or this or that, your parents came and asked you to, to finish this job, and, and, and I can relate. When we moved to Papua New Guinea to, to begin our work as, as tribal church planting missionaries, we were basically given two different options. We could move into an existing work, which for whatever reason, the missionaries that had began that work weren't able to see it to completion. The job was not finished, and so they needed missionaries to come in and, and fill in. And then there's another option that we were given, that we could go into a new work. And when I say new work, I mean exclamation mark, New York, bold, bright, sizzling, exciting. Why? Because when you go into a new work, you do the initial survey, you do the, the initial contact with the people, and, and you're starting from, from literally from square one, from the, from the ground up. And, and lots of times, you're the first ones outside of their particular tribe, their location that they've ever seen. And so it's very exciting. And, and so you're probably gathering that, that where I was more wanting to go when we moved to Papua New Guinea was a new work. But God in His providence and His goodness and His, by His leading and direction uh, allowed us to move into an existing work. And so we had to, in all actuality, pick up the pieces and, and that presented, uh, yeah, a lot, <laughs> a lot of difficulties at times. When we first moved in, I was hand delivered a little note from an eight-year-old boy who said, "Oh, you need to hire me to be your, to be your, um, your houseworker." And what if I don't want to hire you as my houseworker? Well, this ground that your house is on is my dad's, so you, you don't get a choice in the matter. And there were all sorts of other things already going on. And, 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 and the more that we worked, and I was working at language and, and culture and trying to grasp these things so that one day we could give them this, right? And the more that we worked, there's things vying for my attention. They, they talked about, hey, can you guys come up to the, the village and, 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 and install some sort of water system? Well, that isn't, I didn't really come here to be a plumber. <laughs> and then there was other things. We had, we had a medical aid post Sort of a hospital that was really just a shack. And, and honestly, my first so many years, I, I was spending two or three hours helping people. And I, and I love medical missions, but, but that isn't what we had come to do. And it was taking more and more of my time. And, and then there were other guys coming and asking, hey, can you, can you set up a store? Because we don't have oil. We don't have salt. We don't have flashlight batteries. We don't have flashlights. We don't have this. We don't have that. And it'd be so nice if we could run the store and you just help us get it going. And all those things were, were excellent things that, that would help in our relationships established with the people. But were they getting us to the goal of, of, of one day preaching the word and by God's grace planting an indigenous church? When I say indigenous, I mean self-existing, self-governing, self-sustaining. And so constantly I was being pulled. And I felt like, man, this, this, this work of completing this job is, is very, very difficult. Because at times I lose focus. And that's why I think the book of Acts is so important for us. Because it reminds us of what our task is. What Jesus is at work doing today, right now. So first, the purpose. If I were to ask you, what is the purpose of the book of Acts? 
What would you tell me? And what Bible verse would you use to support that purpose? I mean, we could theorize a lot, but but is there a verse that actually tells us what the purpose is? Because lots of times in the Bible and in, in, in different books, it, the author will actually give you his purpose statement. Well, if we started reading through the book of Acts right now and we didn't stop and we read it at one sitting, the entire book, we wouldn't be able to find a purpose statement because it's not in the book of Acts. Where you find the purpose statement for Acts is actually in the book of Luke. So turn with me to to the book of Luke and let me flesh this out a little bit more. You see, historically, the book of Acts and the book of Luke weren't considered as separate books. Acts wasn't to be a standalone book on its own. It, it, It was written by the same man to the same man. Luke to Theophilus. And, and it was more like chapter 1 and chapter 2. And you can almost think of it as a coin. Right? On heads you have the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, talking about the life of Christ. And ultimately his death and his ascension. The book of Acts is, is like the tail side of the coin. And that tells us from the ascension on what happens. But it was never really meant to be pulled apart. What happened is, at some point when the Gospel of John was, was getting more and more notoriety and was definitely going to be p- placed in the canon, they said, well, hey, let's put John between Luke, Luke and Acts because it's a Gospel account. And Luke and Acts is a great book to give us a transition from the Gospels to the Epistles to the letters. But by putting John in the middle, we, we kind of lose the perspective that these were written by the same man to the same person with the same purpose. So let's look at verses 1 to 4. Luke. And we'll see what his purpose statement is. And my contention is is that the purpose statement for Luke is the same as the purpose statement for Acts. That's why he doesn't have to repeat it in the book of Acts. Because he wrote them chronologically right after each other. Very close to the same time. Verse 1. Inasmuch as many have undertaken to compile an account of the things accomplished among us, just as they were handed down to us by those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and servants of the word, it seemed fitting for me as well, having investigated everything carefully from the beginning, to write it out for you in consecutive order, most excellent Theophilus. So that, okay, so this is our purpose statement. And you see a so that in scripture, it's always very, very important. And generally it's telling you the purpose of why he did this or why he's doing that. And look at what he says. So that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. Now there's many things I don't know about Scripture. And this man, Theophilus, is one of those things. I, I don't know who he, who he is. There's hardly anything written about him in Scripture. Who, who is Theophilus? God, he, he doesn't explain it to us. Luke doesn't explain it to us. But one thing I do know is that whatever Theophilus had understood... Whatever Theophilus had been taught, whatever Theophilus had actually seen, there was something lacking, something missing. To such an extent that Luke says, hey, you know what? I'm going to write this so that you would know the exact truth so that you're not confused, Theophilus. So that maybe he, he was like the, uh, the worker Apollos who, who was trusting in John's baptism and, and needed to be taught the things concerning Christ. Maybe that's the kind of perspective, that's the kind of life that Theophilus was living. We we don't know. 
But what, whatever the case, there was something missing in his understanding. And so Luke says, I need to give you the exact truth. Now, in your, your sermon notes, I, I once again did a, a little fill in the blank with your purpose statement. And if you'd like to fill that in, I'll give the opportunity now. As you, you could just put in Luke 1.4 for the purpose statement so that, you may, so that you may know the exact truth about the things you have been taught. But I phrased it like this. Because that's Luke and Acts is a little bit different. And so this is how, how I phrased it. Luke is wanting to give confidence or assurance that God is still fulfilling His redemptive promise. Pointing back to the Old Testament, right? The, the, the book of Luke and the Gospels really are just everything that was promised in the Old Testament being realized. All the prophecies of the Old Testament are, are being realized in Christ. And then really, if you look at the book of Acts, it's a lot of what Jesus said was going to happen and what He was going to do and the preparation that He does with His disciples. All of that is, is now realized in the book of Acts. So God is fulfilling His redemptive promise as seen through the sovereign continuation of the gospel ministry of Jesus as it developed in the ministries of who? Of Peter and Paul. Showing how the gospel was intended for both Jews and Gentiles. Something that the Jews wouldn't have caught. That wouldn't have been normal and natural for them. That it's open to everyone. So let me say that one more time. Luke is wanting to give confidence that God is still fulfilling His redemptive promise as seen through the sovereign continuation of the gospel ministry of Jesus as it developed in the ministries of Peter and Paul, showing how the gospel was intended for both Jews and Gentiles. So if Jesus is at work in the book of Acts, and that Luke was doing this in order to give him Theophilus and you and I confidence that, that God was still working out His redemptive promise, that the gospel was still, in effect, working in and through the lives of, of His people, then, then what is the theme of the book of Acts? And, and, and as you read commentators and you, you read these people that spend their whole lives studying and looking at the Greek and this and that, there's all sorts of different ideas on, on, on what the themes are of the, the book of Acts. And some would say unity. And, and, and we'll definitely see that. But I'd say even more than unity, and that, that's, that's more keying in on, on the church and believers, is, is God and, and His sovereign purpose. So I would say that the main theme for the book of Acts that we're going to see over and over and over again is the sovereign purpose of, of, of our God. And I didn't just arbitrarily come up with that. That is because that is what God's Word leans itself towards. Not just in the book of Acts, but in the book of Luke. There's this Greek word that means it is necessary. It means it is necessary. And it's used 18 times in the book of Luke and 22 times in the book of Acts. And it's, it's this idea that, that God's sovereignty is in focus throughout the Gospel of Luke and the sending of Jesus and His ministry on earth and ultimately in His death. But this sovereignty and this purpose and this idea that it is necessary is also seen in the book of Acts. That this is all part of God's plan. And the way that you could look at it and, and, and phrase it differently instead of it is necessary is it had to happen this way. 
It had to happen this way. It's, it's non-negotiable. It's part of God's plan. And we see this first in, in Luke 2. And, and we remember, I'm sure you remember the story of Jesus and, and how he's supposed to go home with his parents. But instead, what does he do? He stays in the temple teaching. And his parents take off and they think that he's ahead of them in the caravan. And after a day... They start looking for Jesus and they can't find him anywhere. They search for him for three days. They finally go back. They find him in the temple. And his parents are like, what are you doing here? We've been looking for you for three days. And do you remember what Jesus' response is? I had to be in my father's house. Notice the, 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 the word. I had to be. Not I wanted to be. Now, I thought it would be best, right? Do, do you see the, the, the fact that this is necessary? There was no other option. I had to be. And, and, and in that case, it's the fulfillment of prophecy and, and, and this and that. But, but we see the same thing in the book of Acts over and over and over again. God is orchestrating everything and He's taking it in a certain direction that is allowing Jesus to do His work to build His church. And that is what we're going to see. And I think that's vividly shown in, in, in Acts 23, verse 11, when, when the Apostle Paul is back in Jerusalem and things are just going really wrong. And they are ready to kill Paul. The more that he says, the more they, they get mad and the more that they're going to kill him. And so there's actually guys stepping in and stopping the, the crowd from killing him and they're putting him back in jail and then he'd come back out and he'd get in more trouble. And it's just like, oh man, any time they're going to take him out. And they actually come up with a plan. And they're, and they're, and they're going to lie in wait and kill him and, and, and this and that. And do you remember what, what Jesus says to him? Jesus actually comes to him and he, and he says this. Acts 23.11 So you must witness also in Rome. You see the nuance? So you must witness. That, that's a proper translation. It is necessary. Paul, you don't get an option. You are going to Rome. Why? Because it's part of my plan. Because that is what I'm orchestrating everything towards. And, and we see God's sovereignty again and again and again in the book of Acts. And you know what? That should give us encouragement and comfort to know that nothing takes our God by surprise and that He is working all things together for the good of those that love Him and are called according to His purpose, right? Now, I, I have to be honest and let you know that when I told some of my pastor friends and even some of my professors at, from seminary and, 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 and different guys that I was going to start teaching through the book of Acts as the first book that I would teach as the senior pastor, you know what the answer was? What? Don't do that. Don't teach the book of Acts. Are you crazy, Jason? Don't you recognize that everybody goes to the book of Acts to get exactly the way that churches should be run today? and the practice of church. And they go to Acts to get their theology. And really all that Acts is is history. And I'm like, okay, I missed it somewhere. <laughs> what do you mean all that Acts is is history? Well, it's, it's, it's only descriptive, Jason. It's not prescriptive. Meaning that it's only about history, it's not about theology, and, and I would contend for you and I this morning that Acts is not just prescriptive, it's not just history, but it is history. And it, and, and it is also theology. 
we will get a very good understanding of where the church came from and the purpose of the church and how they gathered. But not only that, we get our theology from the book of Acts. It it gives us a view of our theology. It it informs our theology. First, we're going to see right from the beginning a, a view of the gospel. We, we just sang about, about the risen Savior. That's what they talk about over and over and over again. When you look at the, the sermons of Peter, you know who he's presenting? A risen Savior. Not just a Savior, a risen Savior. And we see the death and the burial over and over again as the gospel is presented. But not just the death, burial, and resurrection. We, we also see how someone is saved presented in the book of Acts through repentance, through believing. We'll see that over and over and over again. Not only that, but but we get a good picture of the ministry and the work of the Holy Spirit. Right? We're going to see the Holy Spirit in action all over the place in the book of Acts. What constitutes the church? What church leadership looks like? Deacons, elders, all of these things. It's, It's in the book of Acts. But this doesn't mean that we get all of our doctrine from the book of Acts. That we get all of our church practice from the book of Acts. Why? Because this is a transitional period. This is happening during the apostolic setting. And so when we get to chapter 5, and and, and we're going to look at Ananias and Sapphira. How many of you have been in a church where somebody dropped dead because they lied? It's not going to happen. That doesn't mean that this, that the book of Acts, it will inform us on a lot of our theology. It will help us understand that, that even the inner workings and the outer workings of church, but it is not what they would say in theology books, normative. Meaning it's not normal. You can't say, boom, this is how the church should always function. So everything that happens that we see in the book of Acts better be happening here at RBC. No, not, not at all. Christ is at work. And He is at work here at RBC. And how are we involved in what He is working out? And that's the question for all of us. And that's the question that I believe the book of Acts has for us. Again and again and again. Another item that I'm just going to let you know is something that has been helpful for me in truly understanding the way that the book of Acts is put together is, is this idea of the title of the book of Acts. I know you guys didn't know that, that this was something that, that was negotiable, but, but titles in the Bible, are, they're, they're not inspired, they're not inerrant. It's oftentimes what, what the guys that did the translation decided they're going to call this. And so, if you turn in your Bibles to the first page of Acts, yours probably says like mine, the Acts of the Apostles. Okay, done. What do you mean, Jason? That's what this book is called. It's the Acts of the Apostles. And, and, and all I'm going to throw out is, is, really? What is the book of Acts really about? If it's about the apostles, then you would think that I'm going to see a whole bunch of apostles being highlighted. And yet, when we unpack the book of Acts and we're going to look at it, you know what we see? We see two. Right? I mean, basically, if you're going to break it all down, it's, it's all about Peter and it's all about Paul. Peter, the apostle to the Jews, to Israel. Paul, the apostle to the Gentiles. The first 12 chapters, Peter and a lot of his sermons. The 
12 to the, or 13 to the very end, 28, is all about Paul. So I don't believe that's, that's, that's really the best title for, for this book. How about the Acts of the Holy Spirit? I, I read many commentators that go that direction and say that, that should have been the title. Because after all, we see the Holy Spirit right from the start at Pentecost. So obviously the Holy Spirit's important. We see him sinned against the, in chapter 5, Ananias and Sapphira and, and the repercussions of that. We, we see him separating Paul and Barnabas and, and sending them out as missionaries. And we see that the Holy Spirit is quite busy in the book of Acts. Very true, and, 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 and this will be helpful to us. But the Holy Spirit isn't causing all things to unfold the way that they are unfolding. He's empowering. He's preparing. But, but He's not causing all things to happen. And for that reason, I believe that the, the best title would be, and, and don't cross off in your Bible whatever you have. <laughs> don't take my word as inspired. I'm just saying this helps me frame where we're going and what the book of Acts is teaching. I, and this is in your fill-ins too. I believe that the Acts of the Risen Lord is a better title. The Acts of the Risen Lord, not so much the Acts of the Apostles. Because it's really the Acts of the Risen Lord that seem to be what is being highlighted over and over again as His resurrection, the establishment of His church, and the proclamation of His Word is what is in every chapter. So let's look at the outline that just gives us a good, broad perspective on, on where we're going to go in, in the book of Acts. And I've broken it down into six sections. And each of these sections ends with a similar phrase that, that talks about the increasing number of, of Christ's church. More believers are added. But also each section talks about the expansion of Christ's church geographically. So not only is the church growing in number, but it's growing geographically, it's spreading out. And that's what we're going to see. And, and it's so neat to see that, that, man, the way that God wrote His Word, it makes sense. It has rhyme and reason to it. It has order. So, so the first is chapter 1 to, verse, to chapter 6, verse 7. And I think this is it. these are in your notes too. Christ begins building His church where? In Jerusalem. That's where everything starts. In Jerusalem, and this section ends with 6-7 saying, The word of God kept on spreading, and the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. We need to recognize that Peter is the central focus here of the preaching and the teaching. Of course, Christ is doing everything according to His plan and His purpose, and the Holy Spirit is the one empowering. But Peter is, is the main spokesman. And so it's, it's, it's really focusing in on the nation of Israel and the Jews. 6.8 to 9.31, the second section. Christ then expands His church and He builds His church throughout Israel, Judea, and to Samaria. And this section ends with, So the church throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria enjoyed peace, being built up and going on in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit it continued to increase, continued to grow in numbers. And that's the Apostle Peter there as well. Section 3, 9.32 to 12.24. 
And this is where things start to switch a little bit. And Christ includes the Gentiles in the building of his church. And this section ends with 12.24 saying, But the word of the Lord continued to grow and be multiplied. The implication is that the church continued to grow. And this is where we see Cornelius and the Gentiles trusting in Christ and, and what happens. The Holy Spirit comes upon them just as he did in Pentecost to establish the fact that salvation's the same. And this is, this is big news for, for, for the Jews of that day. And then the transition happens and we, and we get away from, from Peter and his preaching to the, to the Jews, to, to Paul and the gospel going forth and churches being established among so many Gentiles uh, really all over the, the known world. And section 4 is 12.25 to 16.5. Chapter 16.5. And this is where Christ extends His church beyond Antioch and, and, and what you would think of as the Jewish nation. And He extends it out to Asia. To Asia Minor. And actually all the way to the, the preaching through Galatia. And this ends in 16.5 like this. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were increasing in number daily. 16.6 to 19.20 is the next section. And, and there we see, and we will see, that Christ continues to extend the boundaries of His church. Now, not just to Asia, but now He's going all the way to Europe. And through whose preaching? Through the preaching of Paul and his missionary journeys which is why his missionary journeys are so impactful and, and so important. Because Christ is continuing to establish his church to grow its number, but also extend its boundaries, its borders. And that section ends with 1920. So the word of the Lord was growing mightily and prevailing. Meaning that the gospel was going out, people were responding, and churches were, were being raised up by God's grace. The final section is 1921 to the end. And that section is, is Christ builds His church in the greatest city on earth at that time, Rome. So He goes from Jerusalem to Rome and, and, and is trying to extend His church out to the entire known world at that time. And this ends in, in 28.30-31, which says this, And He stayed two full years in His own rented quarters and was welcoming all who came to Him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with all openness unhindered. Talking about the Apostle Paul. What's surprising to me is that there's no conclusion. There's no ending to the book of Acts. Paul doesn't die. It's as if God is trying to say, and so on, and so on, and so on, and so on. That this preaching of the kingdom of God and teaching concerning Jesus and people responding to that, and churches coming into existence is all part of God's plan, and it was never intended to end at the end of Acts 28, verse 31. And that today, our BC, our church, is part of that. And that what are we? We're Acts 38? I don't know. <laughs> but it's continued to go on until what? Until Christ comes and establishes His kingdom. So let's look at it acts in the, in the next 10 minutes that I have with you all <laughs> and unpack the, the, at least the first three verses here. So Acts chapter 1, verses 1 to 3. 
with that foundation and all that introductory material kind of packed into our minds. And, and you're going to see that this is very much similar. Verses 1 and 2 first. The first account, I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. So there is the first account. He's talking about the first gospel that, that Luke wrote, right? That I talked about at the very beginning. He's, he's referring back to, to Luke, the gospel of Luke. He says, I composed. Who's the I? It's Luke. He's known as the physician, the historian. What, what sometimes gets confusing is lots of people say he's known as the apostle. He's not. He's not the apostle Luke. He's a disciple. Why? Because he wasn't an eyewitness of, of Jesus and the things that he did on this earth. And so when it says that he gathered information from people, most likely what, what that means is that at some point he does join the game. And he, and he does start traveling with the Apostle Paul. In Acts 16.10 to 17, he, he switches. And, and what he's been doing the entire time in the book of Acts is, is writing from the third person. He and they. He and they. They, 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 they. As in, I wasn't part of this. But this is what was communicated to me. And then when we get to, to Acts 16, that all changes. And he says, we. Why? Because he's lying? No, because he became part of them. And at that point, he was going on the missionary journeys with Paul and he was speaking from an eyewitness account. But up to that point, no. Another interesting thing about him is, is he's the only non-Jewish author of, of Scripture. He wasn't a Jew. And who is this Theophilus? As I mentioned earlier, I, I, we don't know. His, main, his name means lover of God, so some people say, oh, well, that just means that, that this was he's no particular person. It's just a general name. And really, anybody who reads this book, that's who it was written to. Well, well the problem with that is that in, in, in the Greek, that proper nouns are very important, especially names, generally speaking of a particular specific person. But on top of that, when you add what he adds in, in Luke 1 that we already looked at where he calls him most excellent Theophilus and he uses those kinds of adjectives attached to it, it always refers to a person. So this was indeed a real person. But notice how he starts. It's, it's very challenging and when I first looked at this, I, I was just, well, why would he say it like that? I composed Theophilus about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Doesn't that seem wrong? What do you mean Jesus began to do and teach? Didn't he finish? Is, is the work of redemption not done? What, what do you mean began to do and teach? Je- Jesus completed his work on the cross, right? Now, now don't, don't get all scared. Yes, <laughs> redemption is done. He, he is never going to go back to the cross again. Unlike the Old Testament where they had to come continually. Christ offered once and for all. So we know by the work of redemption that, that He completed that. That as far as salvation goes, He purchased it. Done deal. In the Greek, it has the idea of doing something in the past, but having the consequences and the work going on and on and on to present day. That, that, that's how we have to look at what Christ did on the cross. So then what, what does He mean? That, that what He began... And, and, and what he began was the 
planting of his church, right? That's what he began, only to go up to heaven and the ascension. And then what does he do? Now he continues to plant his church from on high. Using what? His chosen vessel. His chosen people. The church believers. To propagate his message. To spread that message out. And look at verse 2. There's so many things I can highlight that I just don't have time. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. What? After he had by the Holy... What? The, he, he, he needed the Holy Spirit or he wouldn't be able to have given them orders because he was lacking in some sort of knowledge. No, he was fully God. So, so what do you mean? This is the book of Acts. This is after everything's done. I, I get it when, when he was maybe in the Gospels and he wanted to show his dependence on, on the Holy Spirit. Why is he doing it here? For, for the same exact reason to reveal to his chosen vessels, the apostles here, that there was only one way that they were going to be able to accomplish this task. What we saw in this outline, to allow his church to be established, to grow and to grow and to get bigger and and to reach the known world, that was only going to happen one way, is for them to be in reliance and in depending upon the Holy Spirit through his power. And that's why we see the Holy Spirit acting over and over again in in the book of Acts. And that's why he said to wait in Jerusalem, the end of Luke, and in the beginning here that we're going to see next week. As I said that this was the first words of Jesus, but we're not even going to get to his first words (laughs) today. One other thing that I just want to touch upon, and and I'll dig into this much, much more as as we go on, is, is this idea of the apostles. You know, there's lots of teaching floating around these days that that are saying there's modern day apostles. That there's guys that, 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 that call themselves apostles. I recanted Joseph in, in, our, in our tribe so many weeks ago, right? About how he came and he said that this stuff came over him, over his house. And then he just uncontrollably had to start speaking God's word and, and this and that. You know what he said? He said that he was an apostle. And as we taught through the book of Acts, he began to understand, oh, Maybe I'm, I'm, I'm not an apostle. Why? Because look, it, it, it says right here, one of the qualifications for being an apostle, whom he had chosen. They are chosen by Christ, not chosen by some other man or some elders of a church or, or this or that or some dream that you had. Chosen by Christ. So, so this idea of who the apostle, it's very restricted. It's confined and, and really, the apostles that we see are the twelve. And then Judas Iscariot, because of what he ends up doing, he gets replaced by Matthias. But not only are they chosen, but they're commissioned by Christ. He gives them a particular job and says, this is what you need to do. And these are the foundations of the church. With Christ being what? The center stone. So these guys were important. They were chosen by him, they were commissioned by him, and they learned the gospel from him as Paul says in Galatians 1, 11 to 12. Okay, let, let me finish with, with, with verse 3. To those he also presented himself alive after his suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. Notice the emphasis on the resurrection, right? 
that He appears to them, giving them convincing proofs. And, and we see this in 1 Corinthians 15, 5-7, about how many different people He appeared to. But what I, what I want to highlight is the message. What is the message that He is preaching? You would think it's the message about, I've come to build my church. Help me build my church. Go and build my church. But instead, He gives them the same message that He gave them all along in, in the Gospel of Luke and all the Gospels. The things concerning the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God. And, and, and real short, we're going to develop this more and more and more, but, but the kingdom of God, he's talking about a, a meditorial kingdom where it's this aspect of God's kingdom where, where he establishes his sovereign kingdom on the earth through giving his created mankind the authority to rule on his behalf as his agents. This is seen first in the garden, right? That God takes Adam and he places him in the garden. And then he what? He tells them that he, as his image bearer, is to rule. And that's why he brings the animals to him and he names them. I I know you just thought it was kind of a cute little story or whatever. But no, there's an idea behind that, that he is given the authority of this earth. But then we know what happens. Sin enters and everything gets messed up. Everything gets skewed. And instead of being God's really good ambassadors and his perfect representations of himself, they're imperfect. And you think things would get better when they choose a king, but the kings actually go worse, and they're very imperfect in the way that they rule, and so we see the prophets start to come in the Old Testament. And what do they talk about? They talk about a coming kingdom and a new king. Actually, a king whose reign will never end. And so that's who Jesus is, and he comes... And the nation of Israel, instead of rejoicing and accepting their king, they reject him. And so this kingdom offer is then extended to to us as the church. And one day God will pick this back up with Israel. They'll repent and, and, and Jesus will come and he'll usher in his kingdom. And isn't that motivation for you and I to share his wonderful gospel with others? And it should be. I pray that that is the case as we read the book of Acts together and as God unpacks this for us, that he would so grip our hearts that more and more people would be brought in to his church. So, in conclusion, Jesus is at work throughout the book of Acts. We're going to see that. We're going to see that the work that Jesus began through his apostles continues on today as his gospel is preached and churches are established everywhere all over the world. And what can you take with you this week? Two things. Number one, you can praise God that Jesus is still at work. And in that, you can ask Him how He wants you to be involved. Now He wants RBC to be involved. And the second thing is, ask the Lord to give you a fresh perspective on His kingdom. That you would recognize that there is a time coming where people will no longer have a a chance to even hear the gospel. That when we reach this eternal state with Jesus as the the king forever, there's a certain number of people that are going to be part of that kingdom and it's not going to keep increasing. It's a set marked number. No more procreation during that time. It's limited. And that means that we have this one life now, this one life here on this earth, to be his spokesman, to share with others about this wonderful kingdom that Christ came and purchased so that 
we can enjoy this kingdom with Him forever. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I, I just thank You for Your Word, for how incredibly inspiring and encouraging and challenging it is. I pray, Lord, that as we, as we unpack it, as, as we search Your Scriptures, Lord, as we look at the book of Acts and we see You building Your church, Jesus, You at work, chapter after chapter, verse after verse, that we would indeed see You at work in our hearts and in our lives and, and here at RBC, that You would use us to reach this known world, this, the city of Temecula and all the surrounding cities with Your precious good news that more and more might be brought in to the heavenly kingdom and enjoy life with us forever. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Hey, thanks for being with us today. It's always a pleasure to serve you with this CD ministry. Here at Rancho Baptist Church, our mission is to glorify God by making disciples who love God, love others, and live to reach their world for Christ. And if you have any questions regarding this sermon, or just perhaps knowing God in a deeper way, don't hesitate to give us a call. Our phone number is area code 951-676-2911. Or you can reach us on the web at www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. That's www.ranchobaptistchurch.org. Have a great day in the Lord, and God bless you as you continue to walk with Him.